I think it's time that we start the conversation to silence the shame. Silence the shame. Si- silence the shame. Silence is the difference between treatment or pain, life or death. Silence the shame. Speak up now and silence. 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 Silence the shame. What's up? What's up, everybody? This is your girl, Shanti Das, the host of the Silence the Shame podcast. Happy holidays. I'm in the spirit. Y'all still got my little sand in the background. It is uh, a chocolate wonderland over here at my crib, and uh, it's just good to be back um, on the airways with you all. Uh, we've just been going through so much as a nation and as a culture, but we are here. We know hope is alive. Resources are there, and that is what this is about with Silence to Shame, is bringing the resources to the community, and I'm truly excited about this episode. Wow, episode 51 can't believe we're already at number 51. Uh, What's up to my co-host, Free the Vision? How are you doing? I'm good, Shanti. How are you feeling? I like Chocolate Wonderland. I like how you put that. Yeah, you know, because I I got all the Black Santas happening over here. When we go in, it's a little bit of Chocolate Wonderland over here. (laughs) Just trying to spread some good holiday cheer. But that's why this, you know, particular podcast is so important um, as we do usher into the holiday season. just want to give thanks to our sponsor and co-host for this particular podcast, the PAF Professional Athletes Foundation. Shout out to my girl Leslie and everybody over there and my boy Carl Francis at the NFLPA. It is an honor continue to continue to do this work um, with those two organizations. And, and what we're going to be talking about today is tackling seasonal affective disorder, which is something that's really important that um, I think it's important that we know the facts, right? Free about this mm-hmm. one. Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions out there because sometimes you can just be sad because, you know, it's cloudy a lot in the fall and the winter, but doesn't mean that you have sad, right? Pun intended, seasonal affective disorder. Um, so we're going to get into it. But first, I just want to introduce our incredible uh, guests that we have on the show today. Um, I will do ladies first. So I'd like to start with Dr. Candace Williams, who is an LPC and does a lot with uh, athletes um, around the nation. So welcome, Candace. Dr. Williams, how are you? Thank you. Welcome, 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 welcome. In terms of uh, happy to be here with you all, I am doing well here in the great state of, you know, Ohio, Buckeye Nation, you know, still recovering from Ooh, last well, I was going to say, oh, here are my prayers to you on that game. Uh, that's another podcast too for another day, but we still support the Buckeye Nation. But you know, hey, we, we're 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 working through it. <laughs> so, uh, Dr. Williams, tell me a little bit about your background. So, as you mentioned, Shanti, I'm a licensed professional counselor, and so uh, my clinical background traditionally was in trauma, uh, working with children who are victims of sexual abuse and uh, physical abuse, and then transitioned into working with athletes around 2014 when I worked for the NFL Players Association, where I worked with former players, helping them transition through life after football, particularly focusing on navigating mental health resources, be it a therapist, inpatient treatment, Um, medical resources related to their health. And so I did that for five years uh, and worked alongside my PAF family, uh, helping navigate mental health crisis for that population. And then for the past two and a half years, worked with the Ohio State University Sports Psych and Wellness Services, providing mental health therapy to athletes, um, particularly our football team. So I'm on my third season working with them. Congratulations. 
Thank you. And contrary to what people might assume, you know, the utilization rate has increased of our services, you know, collectively over the course of 1100 student athletes, right? But, you know, particularly when we look at football, when we look at Black men, you know, in terms of that population too, um, it's not uncommon for them to come chop it up with Dr. Williams about what they're dealing with and getting strategies. And so really, truly love what I do. Um, again, I'm in my going into my third year here at Ohio State and looking to, you know, elevate the resources in a way um, that our student athletes can maximize, um, you know, both on and off the field. So. I think that's incredible. Your work that you do is so important, especially for our student athletes. And Sidebar, I like how you threw that in, the Ohio State University. Uh -huh. That is a learned behavior. I love it. I love it. I have to make sure I acknowledge that and put the T-H-E when I am referencing the school. But thank you again, Queen, for being here today. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation. Absolutely. Last but not least, uh, Mr. Brandon Bostic. Ooh, the crowd goes wild. He goes across the middle <laughs> and catches that pass, whether it's with the Packers, the Jets, the Cardinals. Welcome to the Silence of Shame podcast, Brandon. How are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm excited to do the podcast. Um, excited to share my knowledge with Candace and my experiences. Well, we are honored to have you here today. Tell us a little bit about your background, Brandon, and also why just this topic around mental health is so important to you. Um, well, I started off, I was born and raised in Florence, South Carolina. Um, so I was born there. I went to college there at Newberry College. Um, I just graduated there um, May 2020 during COVID. So I got my, I'm a COVID graduate, so I got my degree from Congratulations. there. Congratulations. For sure. Thank you. Um, my football career, I graduated, then I went to Green Bay. So I was on the Packers for three years. Um, then I went to the Cardinals for one, and then I finished my career uh, with the New York Jets for two years. So I played a total of uh, five years. Um, it was a good journey. Now I'm doing, um, the reason I got in mental health because I struggled with mental health during COVID. So. Mm -hmm. um, that was my, I guess, my gateway into mental health. So I started my journey doing COVID. Um, so that's why I'm so big and that's why I'm an advocate for it because I know what it's like uh, when you're going through those dark times, I know what it's like to come out of it. Absolutely. Well, well thank you for using your platform um, and for being vulnerable, right? One, getting the help that you need and then sharing your knowledge and information to help so many others. So it really is an honor to have you both here. So why don't we jump right into the conversation? Um, you know, this time of year, the feelings of sadness, you know, that sometimes can last throughout the holiday season. Usually, I think it's from November to December. They're often referred to as the holiday blues or seasonal depression. While less severe than clinical depression, these feelings can have a significant impact on your ability to function normally during this time of year. So let's start with you, Dr. Williams. Can you tell us more about the holiday blues and give us some Causes, signs, symptoms, you know, what, what, what do we need to look out for? Mm -hmm. You know, definitely when we think about, you know, being in your feelings, right, during the holiday season, that is something that is a thing it, 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 and it is normal. Um, and most people refer to it as a holiday blues, not to be confused with seasonal affective disorder. And I can kind of get into that uh, as we get deeper into the conversation. But, you know, holiday blues, it lasts between November to December, you know, and people, you know, during this time where you see all these different ads and marketing around being joyful and rejoicing and being happy, you know, some people may 
have this feeling of sadness, um, may feel, you know, anxious or depressed or lonely during the holiday season for a variety of different reasons. They might be grieving, you know, uh, the loss of a loved one during this time, or they may notice due to the time changing, right? That like, okay, it's darker outside. So therefore, where's the sun? If you're like me and you live in Ohio and I'm originally from Texas, I'm used to seeing the sun a lot. And is nowhere to be found, right? So, you know, it, geographically, depending on where you are, um, there are a lot of different contextual things and variables that can lead to that. But some of the signs are, if you notice, like during the holiday season, during November to December, changing your appetite, changing your sleeping pattern, you're more depressed or irritable. To your point, you're not depressed, but there's just this sense of sadness uh, that you notice, uh, you know, feelings of worthlessness or guilt, uh, feeling more tired than usual. And so, you know, some people chalk it up to stress. Other people might chalk it up to some other triggers, but it's actually a thing, you know, during the, the, the seasons in terms of, you know, later in the year due to the time change and just, you know, due to weather change um, and, you know, it being, you know, a holiday season where some people are used to either having family or, you know, having the triggers around just the holiday blues. Thank you for that explanation. I, I know from a personal perspective, um, I've actually been diagnosed with depression <clears throat> years ago, about six years ago, but my sister unexpectedly passed away in 2019 and Christmas was our thing. So every little thing sometimes is a trigger for me. Um, and I have to really, you know, take care of myself and pay close attention to those triggers and make sure that I am getting out of the house and you know, I've also dealt with some physical health issues this year. And even just yesterday, I was like, okay, I just got to get out and go take a drive and go immerse myself in nature, which kind of makes me feel better. And so I'm very intentional about my feelings and my thoughts now, especially this time of year. Mm -hmm. So anybody that has experienced the loss of a loved one, the holidays are absolutely, you know, tough to navigate and process at times. So mm -hmm. I get it. <laughs> I understand mm -hmm. it's not easy. For sure. I tell people, you know, focusing on your mental health doesn't make you weak. It makes you aware. And so, you know, mental health is 365 days a year. And being aware is like every day you have an opportunity to be more aware and more insightful about who you are and what's happening around you. And I think COVID kind of, you know, being in quarantine, it kind of revealed that to us too. And so one of the things that I challenge people to do when you notice that the holiday season, season is approaching is to just be very mindful of, you know, how you're responding to things, how you feel. Um, because, you know, those types of behaviors, whether we're used to doing something, we lack motivation, we lack interest, or we're noticing that everybody has holiday cheer, right? And I'm just at a place where I'm like, I'm not feeling it, that may be a sign to something, you know, of more concern related to your mental health. Absolutely. I wanted to ask um, this, this question to Brandon. Um, can you talk about how tough it can be sometimes for, for parents to navigate through the holiday blues um, while focusing on the field, family, your tight schedules, the things that you, you guys have obligations to? Um, I would say it's definitely it's, it's, it's very tough. You know, like you said, um, you have all these things to focus on. Um, the two things that matter to you most, you know, your career and your family, you have those two things to focus on. So I think it's very key that you find um, a balance, you know, a balance and have your priorities in line. Um, I struggled with that when I played. You know, I was so far on my career. I wasn't in, I wasn't in my family's um, 
I didn't really see my family. I wasn't around my family for holidays. So I struggled with that, just finding that balance. So um, now that I'm done, I'm more balanced. I'm more with my family. So um, I think just having your priorities in line is knowing what you need personally and just knowing what your family needs. And also, um, when you're on a team, you know, it kind of feels like a family. So you're kind of around your family at the same time. So um, you have that support. Um, I know when I played, um, I always hung out with my uh, position the people who I played my position with, the tight end. So I was, it was like a tight end family. You know, I spent time with their family during the holidays because I was a single man. So that's kind of the things that I did. I always tried to, um, if I didn't have my family, I leaned on my football family uh, for the love and support or just, you know, a Thanksgiving meal, something like that. Brandon, I want to ask you just to kind of piggyback off on that um, with you trying to set that balance and being intentional. Were there ever people... And they're not naming names or anyone, but people in your, your circle or your space of influence, if you will, that didn't understand when those boundaries needed to be set. Because sometimes, it, you know, it can be tough with, you know, colleagues or teammates or even family sometimes don't understand when you need to set those boundaries. Was, was that ever an issue for you or did you ever see any of your teammates go through that? Um, me personally, you know, I struggle with that, too, um, just setting those boundaries, knowing what I need or not. Um or just extending myself too much. I have a big heart, so I'll just give, 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 and just not um, focus on Brandon and what Brandon needs. Um, so I think the boundaries are definitely important. The boundaries and your um, priorities, you know, just having that balance. Like I said, knowing what you need and knowing what um, makes you happy and knowing what, um, I guess, makes your soul, um, whatever you need to do to make you feel um, the best. I, I want to ask one more thing. How are you able to, like, um decipher those things like how are you able to say like okay that is what I need I recognize that a little bit more now versus before how how were you able to set those things like what inspired them um I would just say just doing the work you know just being more aware just learning more about myself um allowing myself to feel those feelings that uh, sometimes as an athlete you don't allow yourself to feel you know you might not mess as an athlete you know you try to be strong you try to think you can handle everything you own so um, just allowing yourself to feel those feelings, that feelings are sad, and just um, being aware of it and just knowing where they're coming from and why you're having these feelings. I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned, just being aware and knowing myself and knowing my feelings and what, where they're coming from and what they're attached to. I love that. I, I coined this new acronym because um, I used to work in hip hop, so for rap, right? So another way to, to, to process through is rapping, you know, through your feelings. So the R is recognizing, right? Yeah. Because you got to be able to recognize something that's unfamiliar within yourself. That's why it's so important to stay in tune with who you are. And then the A in rap is acknowledging it, right? So you, you might be like, okay, well, yeah, that, that did happen, or I did just do that. But then you don't always accept it. So the A is twofold. It's acknowledging and accepting it. And then the P in rapping is processing through it with someone like a Dr. Williams. So Dr. Williams, any more insight into boundaries around this time of year for athletes and things that they can do to be really intentional about that? Yeah, you know, to Brandon's point and, and to your Shanti in terms of recognizing and, and being aware because, you know, you have to know, how do you know if a person has crossed a boundary, you know, related to something, you know, we, we typically look at, okay, inward of how does that make me feel? This person has crossed the boundary, therefore, what boundary do I need to set because it's not making me feel my best, you know, with athletes, energy management is a thing because they're having to manage so many different things and still perform on the field. And so particularly with the football players I work with, I talk to them about there's a football field, right? And there's out of bounds, there's lines. So let's identify 
what those boundaries are, depending on no, no matter who it is in terms of what you need, if you're in the middle of that field, or if you're on that field, metaphorically speaking, that, you know, if, if they step out of that or they cross it, then that's a boundary. And so kind of putting it in those terms, right, kind of can help them conceptualize both um, and being able to, um, you know, really give them a guide on how to do that. And those boundaries to Brenda's point, maybe I don't need to respond to a text message, you know, in five minutes, you know, I, I may need to give myself some time, 30, 40 minutes, an hour, um, you know, learning how to say no, um, you know, to the people that you love because your body's tired, your, your mind is tired, you know, and you need that time in terms of, of giving yourself some time out for self-care. And so um, I think boundaries are really important during this time, especially for young athletes, uh, because you have so much that you're doing uh, in addition to trying to be aware of how you're feeling at the same time. Absolutely. And I, I love how you equated it with, you know, being out of bounds, right? That's, that's mm -hmm. a, I think, a good comparison and a good way for athletes to kind of understand it. So I want to shift a little bit now that we talked some about the holiday blues. Um, there's a blurb from Very Well Mind um, that says there's a difference between having the holiday blues in which the symptoms are milder and go away once the holidays are over, but a more serious condition such as seasonal affective disorder, also known as SAD, or major depressive disorder that we mentioned at the top of the show. So um, Dr. Williams, can you share with us a little bit, um, you know, I learned about seasonal affective disorder years ago, but what exactly is it and how can it be managed and treated? <laughs> so, you know, feeling sad during the winter and the holiday months, you know, can also be a sign of seasonal defect affective disorder. To your point with holiday blues, right, typically that is something that lasts during those months and then you kind of see those symptoms dissipate as, you know, um, the year continues in terms of the new year. And who's to say that a person who experiences holiday blues, you know, one year will experience it the next. But, you know, what makes the, distinguishes the difference between holiday blues and seasonal affective disorder is the intensity and the duration of the symptoms, you know, versus, you know, feeling a little bit sad, um, you know, you may notice that, you know, you're a little bit more depressed or, or the sadness is more intense to the point to where it's not like I wake up sad one day or I have a little bit of sadness and I'm able to talk to my good girlfriend or go and work out and I'm feeling a little bit better. It's like over the continuation and duration of time, those um, symptoms get a little bit more intense or the sadness may go from feeling sad one day to all of a sudden I have lack of motivation to do the things that I enjoy to the point where I'm in bed and I'm not able to get up or people are calling me and I'm tending to like isolate myself and not want to talk to anyone. And so, you know, uh, you know, with SDA is the term, um, you know, typically it lasts 40% of the year, you know, starting at, in the fall and then kind of going into the spring and summer months. And so again, the duration of those symptoms are a little bit longer versus November, December. Um, and then the severity of them, like I said, they're a little bit more intense than, you know, the depression that you are, or sadness or, or some of the grief you might feel in and out during, you know, um, particular moments in the holidays. And so one of the things that we, again, want to encourage people to do is be aware of how you're feeling, when you're feeling uh, those symptoms and recognizing that, okay, this isn't something that I'm able to quote unquote shake off, but is, it is of concern because now 
it is, you know, it, it's feeling a little bit more intense to the point to where we don't want to get it to, um, you know, that depressive state of where you're thinking about suicide or, or um, acting on those suicidal ideations. But um, just the distinction is the duration and the intensity of those symptoms. Uh, Free, I'll kick it over to you. I do have a question though, um, before the next question too. So, so for SAB, it really is rooted within the season though, right? Because it seems like when you're saying from fall till about spring, is it is it weather correlated? Like, so for example, if you, and I'm, I'm maybe asking something that I don't know if you have the exact answer to, but like, mm -hmm. let's say for example, you live in Ohio or I'm from New Jersey. If you're in LA and you're experience, experiencing the season a little bit different, you get what I'm saying? Like it might not be as cold, it might not be as dark, or you don't have that same experience. Is there a different effect to it? Um, or is there like a little, has there been research even, if you might know, that mm -hmm. like in warmer spaces, people might not have that same kind of interaction or experience with it? Mm -hmm. I would do to your point free it, it, it yes in terms of you also have to consider geographically right if you look at the mm -hmm. data related to cor correlated to different parts of the country and people in relation to managing their mood you know somebody who's in Florida with you know palm trees and sunshine um you know that the hypothetically speaking um the data would show that you know those people uh, probably experience seasonal affective disorder less because of the fact that there are other factors related to just access to different things such as you know nature and being mm -hmm. able to to utilize that um i think what distinguishes it in terms of it being seasonal is because of the time frame within the year when it happens um and again without it being too um being too research-based, you know, there during the seasons, there's, you know, that's a lot of the time where either people are, there, there's loss, even though there's this whole thing around joy and excitement and family and togetherness, there are people who don't have or may not have access to their family during Thanksgiving, not because they don't have family in terms of people that they love, but it just may be that demographically, if you're a football player, you know, like some of our athletes uh, in different sports, they're not going to be able to see their family uh, during that time. And so that may bring into the context of, you know, it, there's a seasonal aspect connected to demographically, some of the other things related to, um, you know, familial things in terms of family. Um, but when it comes to um, that particularly, it affects everybody differently, right? Uh, I have people that I work with and that are athletes who will say, you know, hey, the time is changing and the season is changing. And so therefore I know this is a time where I tend to be more down than usual. Um, not to say that that happens in the summer or the spring, but the reason they call it seasonal is because of those time changes in addition to the context of where you are demographically can, can affect that. But I would say that somebody in LA could experience seasonal affective disorder, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they may feel it as intense than somebody in Ohio because, you know, the time change and, of course, the weather and whatnot also plays a part. Got it. Makes sense. Brief, can I comment on that? Um, Absolutely. I was going to say, just hearing uh, Candace speak about that. I live in Arizona, and it's sunny every day, and the weather's good. But I know, I was just thinking, I remember last year, uh, 2020, November, uh, I wasn't able to be with my family because COVID. Um, 
all these different things. So I think I experienced definitely experienced a little bit of that because I wasn't with my family, um, COVID. So I had to stay in Arizona. I didn't get the whole Thanksgiving spread and all that. So um, I definitely can relate to that, and I struggled with that. But this year, uh, I was like, there's no excuses. I'm going back home with my family. So last week, um, Thanksgiving, I spent the whole week with my family. And it was one of, probably one of the best things and best feelings I had this year for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Being yeah. able to connect is so important. People don't understand how connectivity with loved ones is such an important form of wellness and self-care as well. Right. And I, I would say think about the whole world experience some form of seasonal depression. In, in terms of going through quarantine, right? To your point, Shanti, we are people who crave connection and we all had to do that virtually. Um, our jobs shifted to more virtual. And, you know, some of us were in the house with our family and we're like, what is this? Because I'm used to having my break, right? And so, you know, I think as we continue to evolve as humans and understanding how the mind and the body work and we work to get collectively as people, like that whole eight months to a year of being in the house, uh, spending quality time with family, but then also not being able to be with people and interact um, was a season in which we all went through where we had to adjust as well. And then you add on that COVID anxiety and reintegrating into, you know, outside being open. Um, I think it's definitely changed the course of how we even look at, you know, what seasons and how we respond to different things moving forward than what we were used to previous to COVID. So that actually kind of can help segue into the next question. Um, and this is, this is for you, Dr. Williams, but with this being a time of year where there's an expectation of joy and chipper and, and family and excitement, how does a person who doesn't actually feel those emotions, they feel down, they feel upset, you know, how do they communicate that to loved ones, friends, family, and those in their circle without bringing them down? Like without, you know, mm-hmm. being a, a downer basically, or feeling as a downer in this season when everyone wants to kind of come together? Mm -hmm. I think the big key is being aware of what verbal and nonverbal cues that you are, you know, you are communicating, right? When we think about how do we tell someone what we're dealing with, you know, our minds can typically go to what is, how do you communicate that and how do you say that, right? And there may be people who are comfortable saying that in a variety of different ways, right? We know people who are on social media who might passively post some things and we'll be concerned about like, oh, what is that person really going through? Or like, are they okay? And that's a cue to check in. Um, You know, I always encourage, you know, my clients to really, um, put a label to what it is that they're feeling in terms of communicating it in a way that's clear and direct Um, because people can't read your mind, right? But then if you are in a space where you're like, I I wanna talk about my feelings, but I'm not really like, like, I'm not vulnerable like that. uh, You know, some people will display that, you know, and they'll tend to isolate or, you know, that their languages tend to be more, you know, that they're irritated or frustrated more. But, you know, in terms of telling people that you're not feeling it, it's, you know, communicating one, you know, this is how I'm feeling and, and finding those words um, to being able to let them know the level to which it is right like hey I, I'm, 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 
I'm not in a good space. I might be MIA for a little bit. I'm going to take some time for myself, you know, versus, you know, when you say the word I'm depressed, some people go into like, are you going to take your life? Like, what are we doing here? Do we need to take you to the ER? And so being able to one, be aware of that understanding, you know, being vulnerable is something that could feel uncomfortable. But if you want the people who are in your unit, who are on your bench, like I tell the athletes, like who, who's on your bench? Is that your coach? Is that your mom? Is that, is that me, your therapist? Who are those people that you trust? Being able to communicate that to them in a clear way, but then also saying, this is where I'm at with it. This is what I need from you. This is what I'm doing for myself. So then that helps to quote unquote, set the boundary, you know, tell people where you are. And then also you can say to them, this is how I need you to help me. Oftentimes we'll tell people like, how are you doing versus what do you need from me? How can I help you? And so um, being able to, again, just say, this is where I'm at. I, you know, it's not like, hey, I want to ruin y'all party. I know y'all good, but like, I need some space for myself because I'm not I'm not in a good headspace or I'm noticing that I'm not in a space where like, you know, I, I, I would just be, it, it's just not my scene right now. Um, you know, but this is what I need. Uh, this is what I'm doing. And then this is how you can help me. Those are all great tips. Thank you, um, Dr. Williams. And I just, I love how this younger generation, right, is really unapologetic um, in some ways of saying like, I, I need my space. I can't do this. You know, looking back to earlier this year with Simone Biles and you know Naomi Osaka, and you know the list goes on. Um, athletes are opening up, right, and being more more honest um, to not only their fans and teammates, but you know family members, coaches, fans, everybody. Um, so I'm happy about that. I want to kick this next question to you, Brandon. As a former NFL player, can you share how a team dynamic? can foster or hinder a safe space amid unpleasant emotions such as seasonal affective disorder? Um, I would say that um, I guess it depends on your team dynamic, you know, like how is your team and how is your coach um, construct the team? Um, every team I was on, it was more, like I said earlier in the podcast, it was a family structure. So um, it was big on the family. You know, your teammates are the people who you most going to be around. You know, you spend eight to 10 hours a day with these, um, your teammates and your players. So I definitely think it can um, foster a good environment for you to um, speak on your feelings or speak on what you're going through. Um, like Candace said, some people um, communicate differently. You know, I wasn't a person that was vulnerable. I'm not going to sit here and talk about my feelings. Now I do that because I know what it can do for you and what it will do for you. But when I played, I was definitely not that person. So um, that team environment um, can definitely help you and bring you along. Um, and help you with whatever you're going through. Thank you, Brandon. And speaking of team environments, um, Dr. Williams, as the athletic counselor at the Ohio State University, can you speak to some characteristics of creating a safe space and also provide some examples of how coaches and team staff can create and maintain a safe space amongst a team and individual players? Mm -hmm, absolutely. You know, to Brandon's point, you know, the locker room, there's a lot of things that go down in the locker room, right? Some of the stuff that we don't even, you know, as, as lay people probably, you know, don't get to uh, uh, experience because it's a safe space and a sacred space, you know, regardless of what team that you're, you're on. And so when I talk to, you know, athletes, when I talk to coaches, uh, any other staff uh, related to, you know, 
helping build a culture and a, a team of wellness, we talk about vulnerability. You know, you look at some of the greatest teams who've been able to, you know, from the Lakers to the Bulls, right? You know, in terms of vulnerability and being able to uh, utilize that, you know, a term that we often use in therapy as a way to build team cohesion and to build trust is, is you know, that's the important part. I tell people trust isn't uh, isn't given, it's earned. And so when I'm working with athletes, building that trust is, you know, my, uh, I guess you could say is my superpower uh, and being able to get to know them on a level to create that safe space, you know, where um, and how I operate with our football team is I talk about chopping it up. We're going to chop it up with Dr. Williams. You know, it's not, oh, you're going to go do therapy. Uh, and it's, it's a conversation, you know, normalizing that therapy can look like a lot of different things, you know, and me also having the awareness of, you know, what, what do I bring to this dynamic and how it can be useful, right? You have a team that has a head coach, they have unit coaches or position coaches. I, I look at myself as another position coach, right? Uh, I don't work with training you from the neck down. I work with training you from the neck up. And so when I talk to them about creating the safe space, again, you'll see I use a lot of different verbiage and, and language that they're used to and me knowing, okay, okay what does a quarterback do? What does a, 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 a quarterback do? What is the difference between an O-lineman and those different things in terms of how I can correlate what it is that they are used to and, and what they're inundated with you know, majority of their time, you know, and talking about what happens when you're on the field and you're flat-footed, you're going to get bulldozed. What happens in life if you're flat-footed and you don't have the coping skills and the tools? And so creating that safe space is being able to talk that language and meet them where they are uh, and then build that trust. Um, and then you'll see that permeate through the culture of not only the team in terms of the individuals when they have an experience with you is like, oh, do you need to go talk to Candace? Or you have a culture of coaches who are like, you know, um, hey, Candace, I, I've referred a person to you, right? Um, it's not uncommon for me to get a text message or a call from a coach to say, hey, I don't care what they talk about. I just know he needs to go and have somebody to talk to. How can I help? you know, facilitate that. And that's me giving them education around mental health. And I think, again, creating that safe space is when you're in the space of performers and within that culture, knowing how to connect with every single person who touches that athlete. So we have what's called the circle of care. Um, so at the circle of care, no different than when you look at social work from a micro level to the macro level, you have the athlete in the center. And then everybody that is surrounding that from academics to coaches, to myself, to strength and conditioning coaches, we all play a part in creating that circle of care, continuity of care, being mindful that at the centerpiece of that is not just the performer, it's the person. Um, and so that very much permeates throughout the department in that we don't work in a silo, right? Again, if there's a coaching staff that consists of X amount of people with all these different specialties, it's like I'm an addition to that versus, hey, Candace is a therapist and she's off to the side, right? And so, you know, really taking a holistic approach to, to that. So when people ask me, how embedded are you in uh, this team? I'm like, I'm at the coaches, you know, staff meetings you know, providing nuggets of information related to this is 
you know, how we need to help this person, of course, not breaking any HIPAA or ethical things, but in general, talking about athletes, when they're dealing with things, you might say he had, lacks motivation or like he's, you know, not in a good headspace and he may be dealing with seasonal affective disorder. He may be dealing with some anxiety or things related to what's going on with his family. And so again, creating that safe space is really providing ways to educate people, but meeting them where they are. Um, so one of my favorite examples is, you know, you got to know which block to stand on, right? When you go into a hood, you got to know where you can go get fried chicken and Kool-Aid, or if you want to go and get, you know, um, you know, some soul food, like you got to know where, you know, to navigate. And that's how I, you know, use my job and being my authentic self is knowing, okay, these are the conversations that I can have with this person in this kind of way. And what I'm saying is landing, uh, because they trust me. Um, and so I come in uh, wearing all of my colors, scarlet, black, gray, you know, brown, um, and just being mindful of the culture I'm in and how I use, how I use the, my knowledge to, in a way that they can digest and understand. Well, they're very lucky to have you, Dr. Williams. So are we lucky to have you as a guest today on our podcast. Mm-hmm. Brianna, you got a question for Brandon. Um, yes. Uh, can you speak to why it is crucial for athletes to be able to articulate it? And I, I, I think that it goes hand in hand with the discussion of language that Dr. Williams just had, but like, why is it crucial for um, athletes to be able to articulate their sadness and their emotions and what they're feeling um, and not be embarrassed about getting help? Um, I think it's very crucial, you know, as an athlete, um, I think one of the greatest strengths as an athlete you have is the ability to have that um, mind and body connection, you know, um, your mind and body, when your mind and body is together, you, you can do amazing things. So I think as an athlete, um, having that connection, you're more aware of your feelings and um, your body and what you feel and um, what you're thinking and how you're thinking. I think also as an athlete, um, you have that ability to give yourself that positive self-talk, you know, that drive and that motivation, um, but it goes also, hand-in-hand, you have that ability to uh, have that self-doubt, too. So I think um, just that mind-body connection can definitely um, help you um, articulate your feelings and what you're going through. Um, and just being vulnerable, you know, just showing or just telling or just talking to someone like Candace or um, your friends or whoever you, like Candace said, whoever's on your bench, so to speak. So um, just knowing yourself and your feelings and your mind and your body, um, just being vulnerable and just knowing what you need. Um, knowing what you don't need at the same time and just um, just being open with yourself and your uh, the, the people that's on your bench. Mm-hmm. How do you oh, how, do you have any advice on like maybe athletes that have the fear of breaking through to say that I need that help or I need to go talk to someone like how how do I even recognize that now is when I need to go maybe before crisis but like now is when I probably should go. You know, just hearing you say that, that's something I struggled with. Uh, I was just, um, maybe so I just didn't know how to. I didn't know how to put words on how I was feeling. Uh, Or um, I didn't know who I could trust. So I didn't want to be vulnerable kind of thing. Um, So I think um, just um, knowing yourself, I always go back to that, knowing yourself and knowing where you are and where you're not. And you know if you're having a like a bad day might last one day. You know if it happens over and over, or these different symptoms that go along with mental illness, they repeat. If they repeatedly happen over and over, you should know that 
um, you're not your normal self and you should talk to someone that's on your bench that can get you help. Mm-hmm. You know, to Brandon's point, um, you know, when I hear people talk about, you know, I, I don't talk about my feelings and, and um, you know, I don't, I don't know how to do that. That's uncomfortable for me. One of the things that we try to help people do in general is learn how to emote uh, when you don't have the language or the words, right? In terms of, you know, uh, within sports, particularly with men and Black men, it's like you either are the angry or you're happy. And there's yeah. no in-between in terms of range of feelings. And if you admit that you are depressed or you acknowledge that, then there's this assumption that something is wrong with you and that is not normal. And so one of my favorite things to do, and um, uh, I know I am athlete, they kind of talked about it, Ocho Cinco and Brandon Marshall, about you know that number on a scale of one to 10, 10, I'm at my best, one, you know, I'm at my worst, where do you fall on that scale, right? And being able to put a number to that. And then that can kind of help expand, you know, you being more aware of how you feel. um, Because, you know, tapping into, you know, if you ask a guy like, you know, hey, Brandon, how are you doing today? Be like, I'm straight, I'm good. And it's like, I can see that you're not, right? But being able to, 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 to say that is like, I'm keeping other people at bay while I'm trying to figure out what's going on with me. And either people ignore that and they avoid it and they push it out and they distract themselves with something else. But, um, you know, to his point, it's all about being aware. If you're as aware of your body in terms of the twinges and tweaks and pains that you feel when you play, um, you want to be just as aware of what you're feeling. And sometimes that's hard uh, when you don't have the verbiage or the, the language to to connect to that. Oh, this is good, y'all. Woo, we again to the root of it. I cannot wait for other athletes, whether y'all are in the NFL or used to play or in college to hear this episode. This is so powerful. I, I can't thank you again enough, Dr. Williams and, and Brandon. We only have two questions left for you all because we know you are both very busy um, in your respective industries and careers. But I do want to read a little blurb because, you know, Brandon was talking about it's important, you know, to be vulnerable and important to have the tools. But, you know, sometimes we need a little extra support, right, and help and, and trainings go a long way. And so I know that the NFL PA's um, Professional Athletes Foundation recently launched a monthly initiative called Well Equipped to give players the tools to recognize mental health challenges within themselves and others. Brandon, you also recently completed um, mental health first aid general awareness training with House of Athletes Michi Marshall, shout out to um, Brandon and Michi, and National Counselors trainee um, Ella Ming. Can you tell us a little bit about how those trainings are necessary and what led you to start your own wellness clinic, Sage Elite Healing? Um, I was going to say, that biggest thing for me, um, the reason why I did the mental health training, um, like I've been saying the whole time, I just wanted to gain more awareness about mental health and um, the symptoms and all the things I can notice in myself and other people. Um, and just, I just wanted to know more information. So I did that. I wasn't going to do it. Uh, I didn't you know. I still have a hard time being vulnerable and just put myself out there. So I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. But I finally um, talked myself into doing it and just put myself out there. And I learned a lot. I got a lot of information that I can help spread to my um, brothers and former colleagues and future um, people that I come across. So um, I think what, what led me to start Sage Elite was um, last year, you know, I was going through um, my dark times and just um, trying to figure out what's next for me, uh, trying to find my purpose, my identity. I was just struggling. I didn't know um, 
how to communicate my feelings and how to communicate um, what I want to do or just anything. I think when you have this um, this mental health, um, I guess mental illness going on in your head, it's kind of hard to really um, focus and or even just calm your mind down to really um, know what you need or know what you don't need. So um, that's why I started Sage Elite. I just wanted to help people who struggle with mental health or, uh, you know, just want to find their purpose and identity. Um, or someone who just want to um, have a better life. So we started that in Denver, Colorado. Um, we focus on the mental and the um, body. So we're doing uh, workouts, we're doing yoga, we're doing the therapist, we're doing all these different things just to help um, people with mental illness. So it's been good for me. It's been therapeutic. Uh, you know, it's been healing for me just to help other people who um, might struggle with the same thing that I'm going through. Do you cater to athletes or just people in the community in general? Oh no, it's not. Um, it's 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 for anyone. But um, I'm, as an athlete, you know, I just want to help. Um, I want, started wanting to help people who are similar like me. Um, but it's for anyone who's um, struggling or just want to have a better chance at life. Awesome! Kudos to you for doing that, Brandon. I I got to get out there and check y'all out. Maybe we can do a Sage Elite Silence of Shame event one day. Let's do it. I'm all for it. That'd be amazing. Awesome, awesome. Um, I I guess this is this is the um maybe one of the wrap-up questions, but I, I wanted to ask more about self-care. Um, and this is for you, Dr. Williams and Brandon too, if you also want to chime in. But um, what self-care practices can athletes implement in their daily routine to tackle stress and, and anxiety? And and Brandon, if you have any that you've found for yourself as an athlete that have kind of you know, help boost you, any that you might be willing to share? You know, I, li I like the way that Brandon talked about how, you know, with the Sage Elite Healing, it's not just for athletes, it's for people as well. You know, one of my favorite quotes that I've, you know, started coining is we have to put the person before the student or the athlete, or we're at risk of losing all three. And so when we talk about self-care, it's personal, you know, and being able to be mindful of who you are as a person and what you need and not just what your body needs in order to perform, but what your mind needs in order to, you know, be able to be functional. Because your hamstring and your tricep and bicep are a muscle in your body, right? And the more we use them, the more fatigued that they get. And your mind is the same way, you know? And so self-care looks very different for a lot of different people and it's personal. But one of the things that I really love prescribing is meditation, the Calm app, you know, being able to do meditation and breath work, you know, are the quickest ways to be able to stretch your mind like you would your body, right? As an athlete, you know, most of them would never go out and perform a workout without stretching their bodies first for various reasons related to maximizing their bodies in terms of their workouts or for recovery and whatnot, but mentally, you know, doing yoga, doing, uh, being able to take a pause, being able to use a rest day as a, a, a self-care day versus a, a rest day, meaning you don't have anything on your schedule, right? Because you don't have practice. You might have a lift, but being able to turn that into a mental health day. And one of the cool things that I love about what we do here is we've implemented that with our teams, is we've implemented that, hey, you know, per sport, an athlete can say, you know, I'm just not feeling really good today. They don't necessarily have to have that recommendation per their counselor. They can talk to their therapist, and their, I mean, uh, their athletic trainer and their coach and say, 
I'm not 100% my best and they have the ability to do what they need to do. We have a whole list of things that they can check off that they want to, you know, um, utilize for that day. Um, And we have given coaches the autonomy to say, you know, I noticed that some, you know, one of my athletes is not 100% today at practice and I, I really want them to take care of themselves. And so, you know, I think having the ability to own that of like, I need that day is my day, whatever day that is, how often you have it, but then to being able to do things um, that help you um, that are, that don't require any gadgets or any type of money is, you know, being able to do diaphragmatic breathing, guided visualization, focus visualization, being able to help that parasympathetic nervous system go to rest and relaxation state um, are things that are accessible to all of us that I think um, don't get utilized enough when we talk about self-care and self-management. I just want to piggyback on what Kenny said. It's so good hearing you um, saying that. Um, you guys are taking mental health days. That's so big. Uh, I'll just think about my schedule and how I operate. I'm big on meditation. Um, that's how I start my morning because I know in the morning I wake up, my anxiety is on probably at a level 10. Just thinking, my mind is going, and all these different things. So um, when I first get up in the morning, that's the first thing I do. I go from my bed and I go to my yoga mat uh, and I sit there and I meditate for um, however long it takes to get out of my funk. So I do that and then I go through a short yoga routine just to get my mind going just to get my breathing in line and then i say a prayer and just set my intention for the day so that's how i usually go go throughout my day because i know my mornings are going to be tough just getting out of bed just thinking about this podcast today i was just like man i gotta do this podcast just all these different thoughts are going in my head so um this morning i woke up an hour extra early just so i can give myself care just so i can um be here and be present with you guys and just um that self-care is so big and even on Sundays just hearing you say taking a self-care day on Sundays I do nothing um, I go for a walk walk my dog and from 10 to 6 I'm watching football I'm not doing anything for anyone else I'm getting my favorite food I'm watching football I did my workout I walk my dog so um that's my self-care day and every day is a self-care day for me especially in the mornings because like I said uh, I know my mornings are going to be rough every morning <laughs> no matter what um, how bad I feel or just no matter what I did that night, my mornings are going to be tough. So I have to take care of my morning. And I love the fact that you have the the right plan in place for you, right? Because self-care, I think you mentioned it, Dr. Williams, it looks different for everyone. And I know certainly for me, um, you know, I wake up and I used to like literally sleep with my phone, <laughs> like right by my head. And now I, I don't do that. I put it on a nightstand and I try to wake up in prayer. Um, I, I just have to wake up in prayer and there's a, um, something I subscribe to on YouTube that has some really good inspirational prayers. And so I, I try to do that even before I turn the news on, cause I, I realize how it clouds my day and my mornings and it doesn't get me off. Like if I get up and just start looking at, you know, Instagram some mornings, you know, that happens. I ain't perfect. <laughs> But when I do do that, I see like, oh, I'm always, I'm already stressed out and scrolling and stuff online is stressing me out. And I'm like, okay, I can't do this. I can't start my day like that. So I I love hearing the fact, Brandon, that you are very intentional about how you start your days and how you set your boundaries on the weekend, right? For your own self-care. I think it's so important. And that is, you know, just the whole goal and purpose of this talk today I think it's so important to be able to provide tools. Um, and that's why this episode is so important um, as we share with athletes the importance of navigating wellness, right? 
for your own life and be really being really intentional about what that looks like. And this has just been such an incredible conversation. I can't thank you enough again, Dr. Williams. Thank you, Brandon. Um, as we close out, can you tell people how they can stay in touch with you or if they want to follow you on social media, they can learn more about what you're doing, Dr. Williams, at The Ohio State University and Brandon about Stage Elite Healing and how they can get connected. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at thesportsdoc, uh, and that's with a Z. Um, and so happy to answer any questions uh, related to my career path, uh, any, you know, things related to questions related to how I do what I do every day. And so, you know, feel free to connect with me on those platforms. Awesome. Brandon, how can we reach you? Um, I'm on social media. I'm on Instagram. Um, I think my name on there is Boombostic86. Um, I follow Candace on there. I love all her posts. And it's crazy to even meet her because I feel like I met her on Instagram already. <laughs> but yeah, boom, um, boom, Bostic, your last name. Boom, Bostic, eighty-six. Yeah, and uh, also sageelite.com is the name of my website for Sage Elite. And my email to that is Brandon at sageelitehealing.com. Amazing and free. How can we stay in touch with you? And what do we need to do with this podcast so we can get more folks tuning in? Yeah. Hold on. Let me stop my dog. I'm sorry. Yeah, so you can find me on all social media at Free the Vision. Um, I'm everywhere at Free the Vision. Um, you can reach out to me that way. Uh, share, subscribe, um, follow us on social media at Silence the Shame on Instagram and at Silence TH Shame on Twitter and Facebook. And you can also check out a lot of our other content that we have on YouTube under at Silence the Shame TV. And we are a nonprofit, you know, working to educate and empower communities. Um, I know it's the holiday season. I know a lot of people, you know, like to donate. So if you feel um, the love and want to support our organization, you can text the word silence to 707070 or go to our website, silenceofshame.com to donate. Your um, donation is 100% tax deductible. And we thank you in advance. And if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at Instagram at ShantiDoss404 and Twitter at ShantiDoss404. I was laughing with Brandon before we started um, about me having a woman cave. It, it's real. December's real. Unfortunately, my team, I don't think we're going to see the playoffs, but you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what everybody else is doing. Um, I always get giddy and excited um, when I interview someone. Um, my nephew actually plays football. Shout out to Asante. He's a wide receiver at Georgetown. I just love football and everything about sports. Uh, I never played, but was a, a, a trainer for many years. So that's why even this partnership with PAF and NFLPA is nice to bring my loves from a self-care perspective together, mental health and sports, and of course, entertainment. So thank you again, everybody for tuning in. Uh, we wanna wish you and yours a very happy, and safe holiday season. Remember, it is okay not to be okay, but what's not okay is to not get the help that you may need. Um, and just, you know, the one thing that I would like to bestow upon you, as well as your colleagues and family members or any players is um, grace. And, and then you allow, you need to allow grace in your life, right? A space for grace, because we are all a work in progress. And mental health is just as important as physical health. It's nothing to be embarrassed about. And so as we continue to do these conversations, um, we want to just make sure that you know that you matter, 
and that these conversations matter. And again, special thanks to the NFLPA's Professional Athletes Foundation and Leslie and her team um, for supporting us in this episode, podcast episode 51, Tackling Seasonal Affective Disorder for Athletes. Make sure you take time, save a life, and silence the shame. Thank you.